Good morning, everybody. Welcome to HTC yet again. My name is Jamie Mulvaney. I'm one of the associate ministers here at HTC. It's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for, for coming along this morning. Um, can you please um, pass the Bibles along from the end of the roads? Um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4. This is the first Sunday of Lent, and we're going to be uh, starting a new series today on Luke's gospel. So we're looking at Luke chapter 4, which is on page 1030, page 1030. I'm going to read it for us. So from verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and I love this, at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for these words, this account that we have of Jesus' time in the wilderness. And as we join him this morning in the wilderness, would you be speaking to each one of us and as a church? In the name of Jesus, amen. Did you read Michelle Obama's uh, memoirs over Christmas or New Year, like I did? I, I read them, and um, the, the premise of her book is Becoming. That's the title, Becoming. The idea that you don't arrive, but you're always becoming who you are. A forward motion, she says, a means of evolving, a way to reach continuously toward a better self. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? I, I guess many of us can relate to not yet being all that we hope to be, all that we want to be. And unlike uh, the sort of detail that Michelle Obama uses in her book about growing up on the south side of Chicago, we get precious little about Jesus' childhood in the New Testament. I mean, whatever happened to his father Joseph? What was Mary like as a mother? What, what was it like to go to school uh, with Jesus? Did he have any nicknames? What, what was he like? In Luke, we get, a, we get a few highlights, and then bam, Jesus is 30 years old, and he's in the wilderness. And he hasn't yet begun his, his ministry, and it's, it's an extraordinary passage we get here, because we sort of get to sort of peer into, we get to sort of have a, a little look at something of Jesus becoming. 
Because the, the writer of Hebrews says that the Son of God, though Jesus was, he, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he's just had his baptism where the Holy Spirit has descended on him as a dove, and he's heard um, his father declaring his love for him. Then immediately he's sent out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And have you noticed that this is what happens? Uh, we, we might get a moment of intense euphoria on a Sunday, and then it, all of a sudden it's Wednesday, and the proverbial is hitting the fan at work or at home, um, and life isn't quite so easy. It's, it becomes more challenging to live it out. Or our, our eyes turn away from Jesus, and we get tempted. Or perhaps you're one of the many people who has given your life to Jesus in the past few weeks, which is the most amazing thing you could ever do. But then you realize, actually, it it doesn't get any easier. And none of us are immune to this. Mother Teresa, remember her, Mother Teresa. um, When when she died, it was revealed that in her letters, for for pretty much the entirety of, of half a century, she felt that she was in the desert that she was in the wilderness. And it came as a surprise to everybody, but, but four years before she died, she told um, the sisters in the order that she was in that the devil is continuously on the prowl in order to make you feel that it is impossible that Jesus really loves you, that Jesus is really cleaving to you. This is a danger for all of us, she said. The other day uh, in the office, I came across this, this amazing book called the, the Infographic Bible. And it, it depicts different things uh, visually um, that take place in the Bible. And, and these are the top five subjects that Jesus taught on. Number one, the kingdom of God. Number two, Father God. Number three, faith. Number four, money. Number five, Satan. Some cultures uh, think about evil too much, but I think in the West we might be at danger of thinking about evil too little. When you think about it, Halloween is, is quite a perverted festival, isn't it? Sort of making light of the dark. Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire, he was part of the uh, UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda in 1994 when the, the genocide took place. And he said this, In Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him. I've smelled him. I've touched him. I know that the devil exists. And Jesus, he is not naive about Satan. He spent 40 years in the wilderness being tempted in every possible way. So let's be very, very clear. Evil is not merely the absence of goodness. Evil is not a metaphor. Evil has a personality, it has a face, and he has a name. And you have an enemy that does not want you knowing that you are a child of God, that does not want you knowing your identity. And so the devil is real. But so is Jesus. Jesus is a real human, in a real body, who was really tempted. And so so Jesus, he has real choices to make. Even though he'd had this sort of intense experience at 
baptism. His, his identity was something that he had to live out minute by minute, day by day. Every minute choosing to be the son of God. That is the lens through which he will view his life. Every day and all that he did. And it's the same for us. Every minute choosing how to define ourselves. So take the, the first temptation. In verse 3, the devil says to Jesus, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, Jesus fed the 5,000, didn't he? And he said that uh, the Father wants to give us good gifts, that if we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. So, so why, why is this wrong? Well, the clue is in the way that the devil, he, he frames the question. He says, if you are the Son of God. Attempting to Jesus, tempting Jesus to, to doubt what he's just heard. Really? Prove it. Just do this, and then you will know that you really are the Son of God. And that's what the devil does, doesn't he? he? He wants to make you doubt your identity as a child of God. He did it with Adam and Eve. He tried it with Jesus, and he will try it with you and me. Now, the enemy, he might not appear on the end of your bed with horns and a pitchfork, but can you hear his voice saying loud and clear in our culture today, did God really say? Did God really say? You've got to make a decision. Are you going to be dazzled by a mirage in the desert that's too good to be true? Or are you going to trust that your, your heavenly Father knows best? Some of you need to, to learn to say no. That, that you, you say no to certain things because you're saying yes. You're saying yes to God. You're saying a bigger yes to Jesus. Because in, in not giving in to the devil, Jesus is saying, the Father defines who I am, not you. And then you see Jesus sort of living out this, this Father-shaped life. And you see him quoting scripture. And in times of doubt and uncertainty, in times where we feel that God is far off, we can always turn to the words that are always there. Every day, but, but especially, I guess, during Lent. We can decide, am I going to, to fritter away my life on Netflix and on my iPhone? Or, or am I going to meditate on the words of God? Am I going to meditate on the words of identity and life that he speaks over me? Are his words about you, are they deep, deep down in your heart? And through each of these temptations, and Jesus, he keeps going back to the same set of chapters in Deuteronomy. To this hugely important time where it was not just 40 days, but 40 years of the Israelites in the wilderness. Where they, they learned to depend on each other. They learned to depend on God. They learned what it means to be the children of God. And those are the, the chapters that he keeps going back to. Last time, uh, I spoke on independence from Jesus. And what we see here is, is Jesus being uh, totally dependent on the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same for you and me. So that's the first temptation. The, the next temptation really relates to, to power and to fame. From verse 5, we see there, uh, Satan says, Look at all these kingdoms. All these kingdoms, they will bow down and they will worship you. 
There's just this one tiny little thing. Put me in the place of God. Or as John Milton puts it, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. This is the the attitude that says, under all circumstances, I want to be in control. And yet we know that Jesus, Son of God though he was, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. And so Jesus, again, he quotes Deuteronomy, the, the Ten Commandments. And he says, don't put anything in God's place. The, the minute you put something else in the place of God, everything goes wrong. Or in Matthew's version, he says to love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And this is the, the heart of what motivates Jesus' life and his ministry from here on in. Not, not to use his sonship to sort of gain any more power for himself, but to love the Father with every fiber of his being. So that's the the second temptation. And then there's the third temptation. The the devil, he's he's finally learned something. He he thinks, well, well, Jesus, he keeps quoting Scripture, so I can do that too. And so he goes to Psalm 91. And the devil, he, he wants Jesus to sort of fling himself from the roof, from the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and to let the angels sort of catch him. Of course God wants to protect you. I mean, after all, he's just said that he loves you more than anything in this world. But again, Jesus, he quotes Deuteronomy. And perhaps even more clearly than the first two temptations, we see that in this temptation, that if he gives into this temptation, salvation can't happen. Because if Jesus says that my comfort and my security is the most important thing, then Jesus, he can't go to the cross, can he? And this is a really tough one for us to have to face, isn't it? To say to God, well, no strings attached. You're God. You run my life. You get to do it your way. And Jesus, he was willing to to trust God and to say that is where his deepest security lies. So can you see how the the devil, he uses temptation as as a very deliberate, highly cunning, and incremental strategy to undermine Jesus' identity? And make no mistake, you have the very same enemy who has a very deliberate, a highly cunning, and an incremental strategy to undermine your identity as a child of God. It's persuasive. It's subtle, it's, it's by degrees, but it's full on, and I'm going to call him out. Because he chips away at our identity. He does this until we no longer trust that we live by grace, and that no matter how many times we've stuffed up, we, can't go, we, we think we can't go back to the Father. Until we, we believe that fear is normal, that, that hope is can't be possible, that the joy can't be possible, and even more to prevent us from doing the very things that Jesus goes on to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so how do you and I respond? How do you and I deal with temptation? Well, the first thing to, to recognize is that even if you find yourself in the wilderness today, you don't have to go it alone. 
get into community, get into a connect group. Because it's not a comprehension study, but it's a place where you can be really real about the reality of your life. The, the, the second thing is this. Is notice how the enemy, the, the, the coward and the bully that he is, he, he goes after Jesus when he is at his weakest. And have you noticed that the enemy does the same with us? That when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're lonely, that's when he tempts us. The devil is in the detail, but so is Jesus. It's back in Hebrews, it says, because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, he knows exactly what you're up against. And the enemy, he'll try to to kick you when you're down, he'll try to take your eyes off Jesus. But when you're at your weakest, you can relate to the Trinity. To the Father who validates you. You're my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. To the Son who who saves you. That we can always go back to the cross every time you stuff up. Jesus gets it. And, And the Holy Spirit who empowers you. That God and the devil, they might be opposite forces, but they are not equal forces. Jesus has the victory. In Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. The the third thing is this. The the battle over temptation, it it begins in the mind. And so it can also end in the mind. Being tempted is, is not sinful. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. But entertaining those thoughts is sinful. And it's probably the the difference between a a, a couple of seconds for us. That we we take every thought captive to Jesus. So, if you say, if you say want to um, give up smoking, and you tell yourself, uh, I must not smoke, I must not smoke, I must not smoke. All your mind hears is, I must smoke, I must smoke, I must smoke. It's, sort of, it's the same mental track that is going on there. It's the, the same thing. If I tell all of you to, you know, don't think of a blue tree. You're all now thinking of a blue tree. If you, if you try to suppress your desires, they're only going to come out one way or another, and you'll end up giving in sooner or later. Willpower will only get you so far. But notice how on each of the temptations, Jesus, he he responds, he combats the devil with the reality of God. So the, the, the enemy, he wants you to focus on the temptation. But the key here is to think in a completely different direction. Because on the cross... Jesus, he exchanged your identity for his identity. Jesus didn't just take on our sin, but he became sin for you and me. And we get his identity. All of us want something. We all want a break. We all want to to ease the pain. 
We all want just, just this once, and nobody ever has to know. We all want something. But Jesus, he was tempted in every way. And he wanted God even more. You need a greater love to capture your heart and your imagination. The most effective way to deal with temptation is through indirect effort. The, the best partner, the best sex, the best marriage, the best holiday, the best job, the best house, they will not ultimately meet your deepest needs and desires. Not properly. Your greatest needs and desires can only be met in Jesus Christ. Cultivate a desire for God in the deepest depths of your soul. And all of your desires will be put in their proper place. In your everyday life, worship is a weapon in your battle against temptation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Just watch this love work on your identity. Michelle Obama, in her book, she says, if you don't get out there and define yourself, you'll be quickly and inaccurately defined by others. So how are you going to define yourself? Can I humbly suggest not to define yourself in relation to others, to compare, to compete, to contrast, but also not to define yourself to promote, to protect, or to preserve. But choose the definition that God has of you and to experience the Holy Spirit crying through the depths of your soul, Abba, Father, that you have the same identity as Jesus Christ. You are not your job. You are not your CV. You are not your Myers-Briggs. You are not your sexuality. You are not your family. You are not your class. You are not a lever. You are not a remainer. You are not your marital status. You are not your weight. You are not your fashion sense or your lack thereof. You are not your Instagram likes. You are not your Uber rating. You are not your addictions. You are not your mistakes. And you are not your accomplishments. Your identity is not fluid. It is fixed. It is fixed, secure, watertight in Jesus Christ because of the cross. People are asking me what I'm giving up for Lent. Well, this Lent I'm giving up. <laughs> Jesus, be more than I could ever be. This is not about behaving. This is about learning who you are in the presence of Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit. In between Jesus' baptism and him being tempted in the, in the wilderness, in Luke chapter 3, Luke inserts Jesus' family tree, this, this genealogy, going all the way back to Adam, a right collection of stuff-ups. And it's like Luke is saying here that Jesus, he's the perfect human. Where we all got it wrong, Jesus shows us how to really be human. 
through the highs and the lows of life. Just before I um, got ordained, I, I completely burnt out. And I, I, w- I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think God wants us to, to burn out. Um, but I'd, I'd really sense God guiding me and, and leading me by his Holy Spirit. So I was really confused at this time. And at a, at a time when I, I couldn't do a thing. I didn't even go to church for, for three months. God shaped me in a big way. Johnny Gumbel, who uh, is coming to speak at our weekend away, he went through a similar experience at, at university. And uh, when I was off work, he said to me, at Jesus, he began his ministry in the wilderness. And Jamie, I don't think it's an accident that you are beginning from a place of knowing that you are loved unconditionally, whether or not you do anything for God. If you were to cut me open right at the very core of me, would be that I'm loved by God. You cannot choose all that is thrown your way. But you can choose to not let it reduce you and to diminish you. You can emerge just like Jesus through suffering in the power and in the authority of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he's baptized along with us, identifying with us. And as as you're baptized into Jesus' life, everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you. This this word baptize, it means to, to overwhelm, to submerge. The really human Jesus makes it his overwhelming reality to be the love of God. And as he then sort of steps into his ministry, he never loses this one-eyed focus of the love of God. Who am I? I'm loved by God. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. God wants to overwhelm you with his love, to submerge you in his presence, saturated by his Holy Spirit, so that you know that your all-defining, all-consuming, everyday reality is the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.